I have a, um, a UC Santa Barbara. I'm a gaucho and I graduated in computer science, Bachelor of Science, Computer Science. And I went to Microsoft and I spent a decade at Microsoft and I've been a software design engineer and test, software design engineer and a program manager. And so basically I used to write code and then write code to break code. And then I used to tell people what code to write. Um, and, and I've um, bungee jumped and done all these crazy things. And I said, nothing was scarier than leaving Microsoft. Right. It took me two and a half years to like figure, to arrange my life to feel like I could do it. Reduce suffering. That's kind of, to be honest, one of my top goals. You know, I'm sure you have sat through one or more conferences or virtual meetings where it's literally it's painful. It is painful to sit in the audience and going, oh, my God, could somebody just please. And and I don't think it has to be that way. All right, everyone, welcome back to Sales Biz. I appreciate you all taking the time before we kick it off, folks. Everyone should know the drill. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you're not subscribed, like this specific episode if you find any value out of this content and go ahead and drop comments down below. Today, my guest is a seasoned professional with many years of executive and founding experience. Coming out of Seattle, he is currently the CEO and founder of engaging virtual meetings uh super excited to get to know this gentleman and talk about his endeavors mr john chen john welcome thank uh how's it going in the bay area there uh doing well it's just my technology that's kind of failing me today well your football yeah, team is better than our team this year <laughs> yeah i mean we're talking to a seattle guy so we might cut this short but <laughs> <laughs> not this year <laughs> i'm teasing huge fan of seattle by the way uh, it's been about two years since I've been out there, but yeah. Is that, is there like an exodus happening to Tacoma and Spokane and all that too? Or this is California lucky to have that. Oh, there's call There's a whole thing of like uh zoom cities, right? They're like zoom communities. So if you just got a high speed internet, there's a lot of people leaving the city. Although I got to admit, I got a lot of friends in real estate here in Seattle and uh, and even my own house, to be honest, crossed over a mill this past year. So if they're all moving, everyone else is moving in. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy, right? They call it an exodus here in California, too. But, you know, I'm seeing these real estate listings pop up and then eight hours are gone at gone. Usually 15 over ask. So a lot. What exodus are we really talking about? Are we in the wrong business? Whoops. <laughs> uh, Real estate's always been an attraction for me, but I don't know about just going house to house and all that. Or some horror stories. I like to keep it laptop friendly. <laughs> I got a drone. I'm actually an FAA drone pilot, Mike. So if you need oh, no me, to, yeah, I could drone your house if you want. <laughs> you know, I've been, I actually looked into that. I got my uh, little DJI back there. Yeah. Uh, so is it back there? I said, but you know, in, right in sales biz, though, one of the things is like, uh, I know we're going off topic, but a house is like 90% sold before a person walks in and it's all sold off of the pictures in the drone video. Crying out loud. I believe it. And even though uh, when I bring that little thing around, I mean, that's just like bottom of the barrel type, you know, just 1080. There's crazier stuff out there, as I'm sure you know. But I just show my friends and family like, oh, my God, look, that, that's like us 50, 100 feet in the air. They're like, oh exists that's crazy <laughs> we're, pretty, we're pretty old school i guess <laughs> it's good meeting you though john appreciate you taking the time um you know i would definitely want to get into your uh current business but let's just talk a little bit about you how did it all start in your entrepreneurial life uh, love to see where you actually uh began the journey 
All right. Well, let's take a little story. You want to take a little journey? Always. Check this out. All right. So I'm currently the author of Engaging Virtual Meetings, and uh, but uh, I used to do a lot of team building, right? So I actually have the notion of shooting the largest number of large group drone shots, right? This is what I call a droney, not a selfie, right? As a droney is a sh group shot, shot where the, the drone shoots backwards and, and as far away as possible. And so I actually shot the most of those until this, this thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. And so this is me that I got 15 cancel programs in March of 2020. But but Mike, I got to love this. We were talking about being on online here and being old school. Hey, do you remember this thing? <laughs> I don't, but I, I can already tell that looks like 92. <laughs> right. Uh, Prodigy was the first graphical based online meeting space. Right. And uh, it was pre AOL. Uh, what I love to tell the kids is like it was when modems used to make noise. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I calculate I've been meeting online for 35 years and I actually wrote this book in 2011. Uh, it called 50 Digital Team Building Games. So for years, Mike, I've been trying to tell people we could meet, we could get business done, right? You could save the travel and expenses. You have dinner with your kids at the end of the day and everyone would go, John, that's a great idea, but here's a bunch of cash and I'm going to see you in Orlando. So <laughs> until this thing. So anyways, I'm sitting in my office in March of 2020. I'm like, what am I going to do with all my time? I put this class up called virtual team building. It's my gift back to coronavirus. I mean, uh, Mike, go back to Mar March of 2020. And right. Do you remember like going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Right. What am I going to, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. It was a very bad time. Uh, I was more, it was more like, Hey, is this one of those times where we just start like selling off everything and <laughs> having like a crazy debaucherous binge of some sort? Cause we're all going to die eventually. It was kind of like that type of mindset, a little dark. I know, but yeah, well, everybody was hoarding, right? Everyone went to the store and bought everything. Oh, I was trying to spend. I'm like, let's just get that expensive stuff. We don't even know if we're going to be here the next two yeah, months. Yeah, I was, which was a good idea. Anyway, so I put this class up and what happened was is 5,000 people took it, right? And so my publisher came back and said, hey, John, you want to write your second book? And I'm like, sure, let's write that. I wrote my second book in one third of the time, Mike. And so if, if somebody ever comes to you, and I think, Mike, you're a person of possibility, right? If somebody tells you, you can't write a book in two months, well, you can tell them, you now at least know one person who did, right? So I did that. It came out Amazon. Uh, what's up? So two months. Yeah, two months from start to end of just the writing. The editing actually took a little longer, but the the manuscript was submitted in two months. Wow, that's impressive. So it came out. That's why we rushed this book because because the publisher too was like, and I didn't know, right? How long is this coronavirus thing gonna last? <laughs> <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert <laughs> that's right spoiler alert so october 2020 this book came out and they hit the number one amazon hot new release and so i gotta be honest i spend most of my time uh uh mike now doing this i'm i'm designing producing um speaking and emceeing at virtual meetings right and uh and so uh let me see if i have this part wait hold on a sec let's see if i can do this right i'll get a, more buttons here okay so uh Let's do this. And so anyways, this is Jay Bonasinga. These are some of the people I got to produce. Jay Bonasinga, who's the author of Walking Dead. Huge fan of that show. Oh, I know. He's an amazing writer, like the conceptual piece. Um, Patrick Lencioni, right, who wrote Five Dysfunctions of a Team. This is Elizabeth Gilbert. Remember the book Eat, Pray, Love? Remember Julia Roberts played her? Oh, yeah. Movie? Yeah. Best keynote of the last two years. She entranced an audience for 45 minutes. She used no electronic wizardry. She just did it by storytelling and authenticity. And of course, this guy, Damon John, who's on Shark Tank. So you always had a passion for technology. Were you always building it, John, or did you just embrace it like I did and start selling it? 
Uh, I actually was a builder. So I have a, um, a UC Santa Barbara. I'm a gaucho. And I graduated in computer science, Bachelor of Science, computer science. And I went to Microsoft and I spent a decade at Microsoft and I've been a software design engineer and test software design engineer and a program manager. And so basically I used to write code and then write code to break code. And then I used to tell people what code to write. <laughs> awesome. And when did you, uh, what inspired you to leave such a stable company like Microsoft? Cause I mean, well, when did it happen? I guess. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is a little bit of a story, but, um, in 97, uh, uh, I had this saying that I always had in my life, which says, I know I'm supposed to do something, but I just don't know what it is. Right. Do you know what that, what I mean by that, Mike? Yep. So finally, that's that question of ourselves. And, and I actually, actually hung out with Anthony Robbins for quite a while. Right. I saw that so, picture. Yeah. So, yeah. So Anthony, I thought he goes by Tony Robbins. Yeah, he goes by Tony. Yeah, he, yeah. Um, so I hung out with Tony Robbins and I was there at a program and one of his uh, coaches who was there that like helped out in the programs. Um, I said this, this, I had this saying, I know I'm supposed to do something. I don't know what it is. And most people answer, yeah, me too. Or I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, but he's the only person in my lifetime who ever said the answer to that question was give me a weekend and I'll tell you exactly what it is, <laughs> which is an enticing offer, right? So at the time as Microsoft, I had money, I had time. I flew to Huntington Beach and actually wrote the entire um, uh, business plan for this company in two days, 48 hours. Wow. And what I affectionately call the Jerry Maguire story. And I actually sent out a seven page summary of my business plan to like 65 people. And I got that slow clap, you know, like I thought everyone's going to say, give him a week. I guess give him a week and he's going to come back. Right. Um, but uh, surprisingly, you know, my family members were all and my close friends were very, very supportive. And so about two and a half years later, uh, I left Microsoft and started to do this full time. And so the original company was called Playtime Incorporated is around creating life changing adventures. It's real key pieces were about using technology and adventure to create human change. And so. That's kind of like how I started and left Microsoft. But yeah, it took me two and a half years. And I tell people like I've skydived. Right? This is actually a picture of me skydiving here, by the way, if you can see this. Um, and, and I've um, bungee jumped and done all these crazy things. And I said nothing was scarier than leaving Microsoft. Right. It took me two and a half years to like figure to arrange my life to feel like I could do it. And so it was scary. Well, three years later, I think after the dot com burst, uh, <laughs> a lot of people were feeling that pain anyway. Right. Oh my gosh, my uncle, I actually left six months before the crash. Oh, wow. And my uncle sent me an email and he said, here's to your fortuitous timing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, uncle. Well, if he's listening now, <laughs> take that, uncle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you would recommend one of these Tony Robbins courses, uh, uh seminar. I, you know, he's got a challenge going on right now. I've actually volunteered at his events. Uh, so I got to tell you, I am a fan uh, because he did make a difference in my life. And I got to tell you, right, Mike, maybe I get a sense, you, you know, I don't know what it is, like maybe the sales side or the, the uh, Bay Area or something, you know, like we got to hold our skepticism. And so you're right. And, and I got to be honest, like I'll, I'll add a little insider part, uh, Mike, which was I was on six failed projects at Microsoft and like the first one. OK, that's fine. But like by the time I got to the sixth one, people were kind of saying, Oh, if you want a project to die, just put John on it. And the problem at the end of that was I, I started to believe it. You know, like you just get a bad run, right? 
everyone gets a bad run at Microsoft. Lots of projects die if you don't know that. But and and I I am very personally invested in my work, right? And so that when every time a project died, I feel a little piece of me died. And so by the time the sixth project died. Uh, I was actually pretty depressed. Like I was still getting high scores and reviews at Microsoft, but I'd go home from work and like curl up in a bed and then wake up the next day and try and do it again. And I, I wasn't failing, but I wasn't feeling right. Right. And so that's why I reached out uh, to Tony Robbins. I actually was at a lunch and one of my friends who actually looked kind of like Tony Robbins, uh, you know, I was looking for permission from my friends, right? Because you're just like, I don't know, should I do this thing or not? And and uh, all the other friends are like, ah, he's a charlatan. He's a scam artist. He's going to take your money, blah, blah, blah. And the one guy goes, I kind of like that guy. <laughs> and that was it. I actually went to the event in about in the first three to four hours. Uh, Tony Robbins actually convinced me that he's really out there helping people. And he did help me. And I can tell you, I've taken a lot of his tools and I've helped uh, hundreds and thousands of other people. So so yeah, for me, it, it works. I know that it's not everybody's experience, but I can tell you that uh, my personal experience is, yeah. No, I hear you. I've been to a couple of these conferences and um, sometimes it does get a little cheesy with the pumping up and, you know, just raise up, everyone stand up and raise your hands type. But I, I will say there are two key aspects of it that I really appreciate. One is the positive environment. You know, everyone, if they paid that money, so they're there for a reason. They're trying to better themselves and being just in that level of uh, um, progress. I don't know. It just made me want to get out and start making more calls. And two is the networking. I've met some really cool people there. Yes. Going to these conferences. I've been to the Grant Cardone ones. I've been to a yeah. couple of other uh, influencers. Um, but yeah, I feel like at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's your drive and what you want to do with it. So these guys are just kind of like that supplement, but you still have to get up and work out, if you will. Yeah, and you'll find the same crowd. 80% went there to get high for the event, and then they come home, they don't do anything. But if you meet the 20% of people who apply it, man, you will, you will truly meet some inspiring people. Like one of my, my best friends, one of my very good friends who I got to, um, we were both asked to coach um, Tony's uh, youth program. It's called Global Youth Leadership Summit. And this guy's blind. He's a blind business owner, uh, right? Amazing wife, right? Amazing life. He plays blind hockey, Mike. And, and uh, if, you, if you've ever seen a guy use an iPhone um, and you're blind, he, he showed me so many functions I don't know about. Like he can get his iPhone to read his email and his voicemail to him. And it's just really impressive. Right? Um, and yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Those are the kind of things. Those are the kind of people that you meet. You know, every day you go, if you think your life sucks somehow, right? You just, I go to this guy, right? And, and I think about him and I was like, he, his life is amazing, right? And it's, he gives, he goes, he, just like what you're saying, he inspires me to do one thing more. And if, if that's what you get, that's what, you know, that's a positive. Yeah, see, like embracing that level of humility, like that would inspire the hell out of me. It's, no longer I'm worried about that lost sale or, you know, someone cutting me off on the road. It's time to be appreciative there. Yeah. And that kind of gets you through, you know, if you're trying to get through coronavirus, right. I think that's kind of the, one of the things that got me through was to like, again, all my business disappeared. So instead of panicking, you go around and, and uh, honestly, like for at least two decades, we actually, me and, and another pioneer in the experiential field had a company called Virtual Teamworks as early as 2000. We were trying to go to big clients and tell them, you know, we could do this for you. And they were just starting. Remember when people just started to outsource to India? Remember that? 
Yeah, it seems like now it seems like everybody does it. But I said back then it was new and we predicted that people would have problems in cultural because of the time zones and the virtualness of it. And we came with them at that going, say, look, we think we have something to do team building over technology. And they're like, eh, we're not interested. And now, that's, I mean, that's, now that every, everybody's, you know, with that. So that's what I'm saying. When my initial business um got destroyed i i looked at at this opportunity because for once right i think this idea that i had been working on for 20 years was right and now the world finally caught up to it and saying we have to do this there's not a choice right march of 2020 everybody's on zoom did you know that zoom went from like 20 million people in america to three uh no that that let's see they went from 20 million online to 360 million online in about 2 months and what i love to tell people is if you move 300 and and uh, 20 million people anywhere in 2 months you're going to have some problems and that they did uh, i definitely <laughs> felt that <laughs> at the time i just started moving to google meetings and just, just the a- facetime way just to get away from zoom well, it didn't matter what platform you're having too, right? The, the problems were all universal from you're on mute to, you know, I'm feeling disconnected or, or even today, right? I had technical problems earlier today. You had technical problems. And so even, even those of us who know what we're doing can still have problems because there's so many stuff in the way. And uh, yeah, and that, that's a challenge. Actually, you'll love this though, Mike. Uh, we invented a new word because, you know, like, have you ever logged into a meeting and the screen is black and there's no music and you you just actually for a second you think am i in the wrong meeting uh, that was me like 20 minutes ago when i couldn't get my camera to work everything was plugged in i had to unplug it out and plug it back in i mean you saw that so yeah that was <laughs> so so as an attendee we actually we somebody actually asked on a face on a facebook group and said you know what do you call that and uh, we came up with the term awkward <laughs> zoom awkward yeah zoom awkward so the zoom awkward is also like when we're trying to end the meeting mike and you don't nobody knows when to log off and everyone's like bye 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 now bye why are we waving right aren't i gonna see you later what it's so we're gonna get on uspto or nft that real fast (laughs) because someone will someone will steal that i promise (laughs) oh my gosh i know exactly no i gotta look into nfts one of the i mean that seems like like opportune time to like hurry up and get in there (laughs) <laughs> I've bought a few. Uh, the crypto market. I mean, we could talk about that. It's just, uh, I'm not. I'm not even sure what to say with about it anymore. Except for, I feel like it's still a little early, uh, but it's very lucrative. And I'm a Dogecoin investor since 2018. Ooh, so, yeah. I yeah that, and I just got lucky. You know, surrounding myself with smart people that were talking about it, and I was like, okay, I, something is point zero 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 one penny. I'll buy it. I don't care. It's, yeah, yeah, just yeah. a little leap of, leap of faith. Um, although the flip side about it, something you could talk about, right, is like metaverse. I did finally get um, a VR headset. I got an Oculus uh, 2. And I got to tell you that I do believe, you know, people ask me a lot of times now about the what's the future of virtual meetings. And there is an opportunity there. I don't know if it's ready yet. Like, again, you know, it always said, like, you need the killer app. Like for electricity, like the light was the killer app, right? Or like for networking, like emails, the killer app. And so VR doesn't quite have its killer app yet. Although meetings now might be it because once you get past Zoom, you got to like, what's the next thing? And I got to tell you, I did get into an Oculus workspace and it now will like open up your space here where your keyboard is. So you can see your live keyboard, but then in front of you will be, it will map your, um, 
your computer screen onto the uh, VR screen. So you can be in a workspace and look like you're working and then you can turn left and right and three or four people around the world can be working with you. That stuff is happening right now. Yeah, I uh, funny enough, I just ordered mine, which should be coming in a couple of days uh, off of Costco. I, I'm looking forward to playing some games. <laughs> like, I'm a little too old to box now. I used to love sparring and all that. But if I get hit, I probably uh, not, I'm not moving for two days. But, you know, just the thought of just standing there and gloving up with someone and just doing that for exercise purposes, I get it. Am I going to wear that to every single Zoom meeting? Probably not. And I don't know if I want to sit next to my virtual <laughs> colleagues and stuff. If anything, I'd rather go and grab a beer with them, right? Oh, uh, but it is definitely going there. And uh, the metaverse, in my opinion, kind of scares me. It's like, uh, it's like we're already kind of having uh, difficulty adjusting to current reality. Imagine having a sub-reality within a crazy reality that's still trying to, we are trying to evolve in. I, I, I feel like that may cause some issues down the road, but hey. I, well, to... <laughs> speaking of which, Mike, do you want to see what my current reality is? I just saw your uh, green screen environment. Was... Yeah, well, this is the inverse side of it, right? This is what's in front of my wow. face every freaking day, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you really got the setup over there. Yeah, so look, we got we got a mixing board here, right? We can put mu oh well, here we can put music. This is all these are our stream keys. <laughs> yeah, I got one of those roadcaster shit too. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so like basically everything's in arm length. I actually have two screens over here. Uh, I actually have three computers, so I have a total of sixteen screens now, and I actually wow. use them now. I use them because I'm producing programs, and so yeah, so now I can do cool things like this. I can be in the snow lodge, or like I, I really like this one. Let's go to the ocean office. Um, <laughs> and but I actually do use a lot of this equipment. All right, sometimes I have to use two or three computers to record like breakout rooms or other things like that, and. And so that's something I've just developed over the last, um, you know, literally 22 months. And I tell people, you know, some people look and like, oh, John is amazing. He's the Zoom, you know, he's the Zoom master right now. Uh, you don't get that way, right? You have to fail faster. Uh, over the last 22 months, you got to see the, all the hardware that I threw up that didn't work, um, right? And and how many adjustments go into all this thing, making this thing, you know, work every day. But, you know, with that... Um, uh, this is kind of like the metaverse. Like, again, you could say anything about any term, right? I come over here and look over here. I, I open a browser and this is the kind of a dream I actually had about 10, 20 years ago, what I call digital assisted living, which is like, uh, you know, I could look up your website. I could look up your LinkedIn profile, right? In real time while we're having the conversation and start pulling facts from that. And I think that's something that uh, it, that is actually making a difference in my everyday life. Love it. I mean, I just love the fact that you're embracing your passions and your passion is clearly in technology, but now you're just finding ways to have even more fun with it. <laughs> and so. fun, fun is actually a key strategic piece of it, Mike, because some people uh, use Zoom like a car, which is they figured out enough in three pedals how to get somewhere. As opposed to now, it's like, what could you do? What is like now that you can be anywhere? I'm trying to actually do this in coaching sales teams. Now that you can be anywhere, right? What would you want to show people? And you can actually show them faster and better. And sales teams now can also sell faster because they don't have to spend all that time traveling, right? They push another button. I've actually presented in three countries in one day, Mike. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, I do a lot of global business uh, and I couldn't agree with you more. I was that sales guy on the road living into the airport, taking everyone to wine and steak dinners and all that. And you know, it does build rapport. It does build a level of camaraderie, trust, et cetera. But 
No. These days we've, we live in an impatient culture. Just g- give me the value add, give me your pricing, give me your best pitch and take care of me. Take yeah. care of me. Yeah. That's it. So I can agree with you more. And you get to spend more time with family. I don't know. I mean, maybe some people like being out there to get away from their family or get away from their <laughs> I can tell you how many times I would sit at the bar of the hotel, whatever I would stay at, and it was like, oh, I'd do anything to get away from the wife and kids. Like, oh, why the hell did you have them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I stayed here and I uh, actually uh, bought this specific house because it was two miles from my kid's school. And I actually calculated, right? Like, you know, compared to any other location, which was normally a 45 minute drive to drive my kids off, it turned it into five. You know, you total that I was saving 80 minutes a day on a week, every weekday. And I was still being an involved parent. Like I cooked for them every single day. Like I hung out, drove them to all their places. And so, you know, that is the one cool thing about being an entrepreneur. There was one year, like I took 12 weeks off, right? I actually kept the same amount of revenue, but I took 12 weeks off and I hung, I, I used to be a member of entrepreneurs organization and I used to drop that line in entrepreneurs organization. And as opposed to like, I made, you know, $5 billion or something like that. And people would stop and they're like, how'd you do that? They were interested in, you know, how could I take 12 weeks off? Cause you know, most people that are in EO own a business and feel like they can't do that. I couldn't agree with you more, man. Uh, back in 2020, March 2020, I got to say it was a very dark time for me. It was a dark time for everyone. I took three months off. I just, I sat, played video games. I uh, slept a lot in. It sounds like a depressing lifestyle, but I want to kind of wanted to go back to that. I'm just going to do a nice reset, and then I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I got to tell you, it was very liberating. I even had like a countdown and everything. It was it was something to at what point in time it came to a point of like okay i really need to get back to work but you know i'm gonna i'm gonna stick to my three month uh goal here i'm gonna do what i can but yeah well, no i couldn't agree with you more that many little sabbatical really did a nice reset for me and really hit hit the ground running after that yeah so i produce a program with performance coaches and performance coaches are hired by like teams like portland trailblazers he actually now went to the 76ers but he was the trainer to damian lillard and the one of the th- things that they teach too to, for top performance is stop, right? You got to stop. Like if you're going to, before you go into that big game, you need to stop, right? And gather yourself, center yourself, right? Breathe, you know, whatever you want to do. And so it was like the world's biggest stop too. The whole world was there too. I actually met people in my class from like Georgia, not the state, the country, right? <laughs> Saudi Arabia, um, you know, New Zealand. And I asked like, what's happening there? They all said the same thing. We're in lockdown. We're not going anywhere, you know, and it was really amazing that it was a universal stop for the entire world. And so your intuition is pretty right, Mike. I, I actually didn't stop for three months. And then hindsight, I wish I did because you're just like, when's the last time I'm going to get a three, you know, three month, really awesome vacation like that. Although I can tell the other side story. When I left Microsoft, I took a 12 week vacation with my kids in an RV and we went around the country, including spending two weeks. And my little daughter learned how to walk in an RV in Yosemite. That's amazing. And that was amazing. I, I was telling my wife, we have to do a road trip and whole RV, get the dogs. We recently had a son, so he's a little young for that. I want him to experience it, you know, too, but I can agree with you more, man. I want to hear more about your company, though. Engaging virtual meetings. Um, It looks like you started about it almost two years ago, right when the pandemic hit. But you had the experience. So 
Tell me what's the different niche about this company? Well, and again, uh, I've been in, this is my 25th year of being in my own business, right? So it's Playtime Incorporated. We actually were geo-teaming for a corporate team building, which still exists, but engaging virtual meetings, yes, was birthed around March of 2020. And the real key about it is this, right? It just, you should be able to have Zoom meetings that don't suck. <laughs> I really trying to do something here, Mike, which is, um, Reduce suffering. That's kind of, to be honest, one of my top goals. You know, I'm sure you have sat through one or more conferences or virtual meetings where it was literally, it's painful. It is painful to sit in the audience and going, oh my God, could somebody just please? And, and I don't think it has to be that way. So the whole book is- say, Sorry, yeah. Jim, when you say it's painful, are you talking about the actual content, the length of the meeting, the fact that you're in a room by yourself? Like- Give me some more. It's it's kind of all of the above. It's kind of like a you know, it's kind of like this, a speaker that comes out, right? And it's like this. Well, everybody. Okay, content. Okay, I got it. That, that's content. Well, I was gonna do, and then it's technical. And then the next one is, and now I'm gonna share my <laughs> right. <laughs> and well, then Ross over here, <laughs> then even the worst one, of course, Mike, is the one most famous for 2020 is this one. <laughs> which is you're on mute, right? And it's like, uh, so, you know, it's, it goes from every, I think there's just a lot of different things. And the other one too is a lot of people complained about, and I, I did ask a lot of people, was somebody has a 60 minute meeting, right? And um, let's say, you know, Don, it, it's Don's meeting. Don comes on and thinks he has to talk for 60 minutes straight. That is like, and that, you know, presentation or meeting, that is like the worst idea because you might as well just made a video and send it to all of us. Right. Because and, and everyone would have been happier because then they're not, like, I don't have to like schedule and be here. So, you know, virtual meetings to me are around en engagement. I have six key principles that are around that if you want me to go through them. But uh, I think that the meeting should be different because you're here. Right. And uh, that it should you know, there are different things that you should do. If you're the host of the meeting, it's your responsibility to make it engaging. Yeah, absolutely. What's your take on sending videos for I, I need doing some sales coaching right now. What about actually not having a meeting, but sending someone a video oh. of your pitch as opposed to sending an email? Oh, pitch. Hmm. Well, okay. So let's, let me go backwards one. Cause I thought this is the question you're going to ask. I was going to thought that, um, Hey John, what's your, what's your take on sending a pre-recorded video to a conference? And I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, again, I'm like, like, why do it? If I've ever been to a conference, like I know, right? Even if you tried to play it off, I know you're recorded. And so why make me schedule the time to see it? Right? I, for me, I really think that um, you should do a conference live. And again, so that therefore the presenter can do things like talk to you. Hey, you're Mike. I see your sales biz. What does that mean? Right. I see your drone in the background. You know, that's that's how you know the program is live. Um, so I really have a preference for that. And I can tell you, I tested it. Um, it turns out in uh, with Training Magazine, we produced two of the only conferences in the training industry that was 100% live. Wow. Nobody, nobody else did it. Everybody else cribbed on pre-recorded stuff. But Training Magazine, um, they made me the lead producer. I told them this is what they wanted to do. They supported my decision. And we won for it because it was one of the top most engaging conferences, said the, the attendees, 4.6 out of 5 rating. Wow. So your job is to facilitate these conferences from start to finish with agendas, content. Like, what is there a specific niche that you focus on? And what industry do you usually target would help as well? 
Good. Yeah. So again, I'm on the design and produce side. So what I mean by that is design is tell me what your theme or concept, or I, I will start and ask you the number one question that every consultant should ever ask. What do you want? <laughs> right. And that sounds simple, but even Mike, like if you had a conference coming in, sometimes you don't know the answer. And part of my job is to pull that out. Like you're saying like, well, I want 120 sessions. I have 42 speakers. We always do this. And I was like, no, 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 you don't know. No, no. Let, let's see. Let's ask the question again. What do you want? Right. And so, you know, like training magazine, for instance, came back and said, we want the best virtual conference in the industry. And I'm like, okay, that's something that's good. Now let's go forward. Right. Um, okay. So that's the first one. And then we start designing with that. So yes, I designed the format for it. Uh, we basically run a rehearsal. Um, and in this case, we had multiple um, simultaneous breakouts. So I actually sourced nine other producers. They would produce the breakouts. I produced all the key pieces, but I'm the lead producer. And in the end, um, one of the, the, um, one of the key principles that we have is never lead a virtual meeting alone. Right. And so we had actually for a 1200 person conference, I had trained 200 people who were either producers or speakers or ambassadors. And those 200 people were trained to help everybody work together to make it engaging for the 1,200 people who attended. Oh. And that's really how we got that. So I, so I trained all of them, and then we ran rehearsals so that every program had a producer so that the speaker could do this. The speaker can stay focused on you, right? I'm not the speaker and going, and now I'm setting up breakout room. You know, you do, if you ever watch a speaker do that, they lose track. You lose connection with your audience. And so by doing this, the speaker was able to stay fully connected to the audience. And again, those are all the types of things. So, um, yeah, and then it goes all the way down to like me, like uh, for some of these keynotes, we have a hardcore technical setup. So here's, here's a good one. The Taiwan Digital Prime Minister was one of the keynotes. Taiwan has banned Zoom. <laughs> the conference is run on Zoom. So what we came up with the solution was uh, the um, the moderator the private network. What's that? VPN. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, because again, the, the funny part too in Taiwan, everything that digital minister is public record to, for transparency. Wow. So if the, if the time minister is caught on Zoom, like that could become a scandal. So what we did was we had the prime minister and the interviewer called in on uh, teams, right? And then I took from teams, uh, I got individual, their video feeds, right? And then I mixed it and I was able to send it to all the entire audience on Zoom. And so as a producer, these are the crazy things like I have to end up creating. Sometimes they're like, they don't exist yet. All right, we have to take the pieces and put them all together. Um, and we tested it all out. And then in the end, uh, it turned out to be one of the top rated keynotes and, and highly successful. So th that's kind of hopefully, um, you know, from concept to like literally pushing buttons and, and hooking stuff up in the end. That's kind of what I'm doing. Love it. And, you know, um, it's heavily evolved this space. It's not just about informative meetings and trainings and whatnot. It's actually from an inter entertainment standpoint as well. My company and I, uh, we did some sort of um, a game where we were playing detectives Yep. And it was like a facilitator, you know, giving us clues and all that. But it was kind of like a collaborative, fact-finding type of research. Everyone had their own part. It was fun. I, I was heavily engaged. So <laughs> so I actually partnered with another company, and we run the only Sony licensed Jeopardy, 
right? So I have like probably 12 or 14 things that I've, I've, I can do so uh, for team building, uh, just like that. So we've done scavenger hunts, a murder mystery, um, name that tune right? Name that tune is really fun and competitive. We do this as Sony licensed Jeopardy customized to your content or whatever the conference content. Um, so yeah, we have a, a number of items like that. So of course, digital events really came out. All the team building companies, you know, pivoted in this direction very quickly uh, when they had to last year. Love it. Love it. Uh, John, you also mentioned that you wrote a book um, and you mentioned you did it in two months. Was the book uh, specifically about this type of industry and this industry and this space? Or tell us a little bit more about the book. Yeah, so the book is Engaging Virtual Meetings, right? And it was written in this time. The key here is that I had been experimenting with these ideas for over the last 20 years about what I thought a virtual meeting should be to be engaging. And so uh, I wrote about some of the ideas. Plus, the other thing that inside of here is... Um, like openers or icebreakers, right? They're, they're uh, the games to play inside of the middle. So that things that you can run, Mike, like if you're a manager or you're the owner of a meeting, right? You can do these to help engage people to learn whatever it is, the lesson that, that you have. So we were looking for engagement tools. There's closers, right? One of the principles we have is uh, the last E in engage is end on a high note. And end on a high note means you should find a way to end your virtual meetings on some kind of high note. Also, it signifies when it's done. Uh, and the reason why we got this was from product market research. From product market research, when you do a product demo, if you can architect a high note in the last five minutes with your product, people are more likely to buy. And so just your virtual meeting is exactly uh, the same way. So anyways, I put all these principles in the book. You know, the funny thing too is a thing that was in the appendix right? Moved all the way to the third chapter. And do you know what that thing is, Mike? Take a stab. Have you ever heard of Google's research project called uh, Google's Aristotle? No. Look it up, right? Google, Google Aristotle. And so they did 18 months of research on team building. So this is how I knew about it. And they said, what are all these things? Because so they had these wildly different teams, right? Teams that were like structured, hit their deadlines to the second, you know, and then there's these random crazy cowboy teams. They look like they're going to hit a wall and all of a sudden they, they produce a miracle. And they're saying, what do these teams have in common, right? Is it the office? Is it the money we pay them? Is it the composition of the team? Is it the leader? Turns out it's none of those things. There's five factors, but the number one is psychological safety. In terms of, I feel safe taking a risk in front of my teammates. That's it. Really? And so, yeah. And so what I'm saying is, and this is hopefully what you're starting to see, Mike, now that there's 22, um, 22 months into a pandemic that we're into virtual meetings. Okay. For the most part, we got our basics, most of the set, right? Camera works, the mic works. That was all March, 2020. Now people are looking for like, what's a more meaningful virtual meeting? How can we get depth? How can we get emotion, right? And, and it has happened. I'm sure you, maybe you've seen that at least once or twice in the last 22 months when something really amazing happens. Anyways, it's all around psychological safety. That's how you get engagement. I actually run a class called Turn on the Damn Camera. <laughs> and the funny part about the class is, Mike, you will never get all the cameras on by telling people to turn on the damn cameras, right? <laughs> So what we, you know, the only way you can do it is to create enough psychological safety in your virtual meeting so that people feel willing 
to turn on their camera. Like every time somebody does something in your virtual meeting, even chat, you know, turn on the audio, say something, um, uh, turn on your camera, right? Each of those is, is a risk that that person is taking, and they will only take that risk if they feel safe with hanging around with you. I can agree more uh, from a sales standpoint, getting yes. meetings, global, global calls. Everyone has a different culture, language barriers, et cetera. But at the end of the day, by having that face-to-face -face interaction, seeing the body language, the smiles or the frowns, the eye rolls, uh, yes. you, can't, you can't replace that. So yeah, I, every sales call, unless my hair is just so screwed up at four in the morning. And, <laughs> <laughs> and even then, right, if you have enough trust, right, people will forgive you for the hair. But if you burn them, they'll never forgive you, right? So, so it's it's like that. You gotta that psychological safety is the same as building trust, and I know that quite often, right? Top salespeople are people who can build trust in a very short amount of time. You know, and that's one of the the benefits, unfortunately, of the pandemic is before there was the specific type of hierarchy almost, or specific type of code you had to follow when it came to face to face meetings. Put your suit on be around this uh, conference table, CEOs in the back and all that. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, we all adopted this level of humility. If your dog's barking in the background or your kid starts wailing, <laughs> trust me, I hear you. I had the same thing happen, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. That, and that level of bonding is just an, an additional byproduct of this whole crazy world that we're living in now. And that's part of, uh, yeah, we teach 10 things inside of Turn On the Damn Camera. And one of them is everything's okay. Right. Yeah. You, know what, you oh, actually, it's gone to this. Let me see if I can find this one. Hold on. Um, oh, yeah. So this is what we invented in April of 2020. <laughs> right. This is it. So, you know what? Like in April of 2020, Mike, like me and all my friends, we got so sick of people getting onto a virtual meeting and apologizing. Sorry, it's my dog. Sorry, it's my gardener. Sorry, it's my husband. Right. Oh, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And I just like, you know, I got tired of it. So, me and a friend, we created this. There's no sorry zone. Right. And it says, I'm sorry is not necessary. Because basically we're all doing the best we can. And so I created the no sorry zone. And what kind of what I told people after that, they would relax, right? They drop their shoulders like that. They'd almost take a breath and like, oh my gosh, I'm finally in a place where I don't have to apologize for the 54,000 unknown things that are happening to me right now that are freaking me out. Yeah. And I've actually brought my kid when he started crying, I literally bring my kid in front of the camera. Hey, do you guys have one of these? Uh, I get to tell you, it creates a lot of rapport at that point. It does it. Yeah, I think, yeah, um, you know, the uh, one speaker 12 months after pandemic started said this, right? At the end of this speech, um, he said, thank you for allowing me to be invited into a part of your home. Uh, and like, that's a wow. And I might steal that one. You should. It, I can tell you too, I very rarely hear it, right? I'm the only other person I think now is saying, because I thought it was so good. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely got to check out your book now. I'm intrigued. Um, you know, I feel like there's a lot more strategies out there than I've I've given the the industry and the overall concept credit. Uh, when when it comes to writing the actual book, do you consider yourself as a writer, or is this something you had a passion for as well outside of the technology? And what steps did you take to really adopt that level of discipline to write a whole book in two months? Uh, well, let me go back to my first book for a sec, Mike. Which was I had a goal for over a decade. And what I tell people about that first book, right? Uh, and it, this is good for anybody who is an author out there. Because a lot of people have that goal. I want to be an author. And I will tell you, it still does those things, which is it sets you apart from others. And I'll tell you, here's the reason why. Because uh, I failed four times over the course of 10 years to write a book. Right? No, and not very many people know that. 
And when you write a book and you celebrate it, like everyone's like, yay, on Facebook, you know, whatever. <laughs> but um, no, I failed four times. And so finally, my story was that um, I was supposed to speak at the uh, ATD, it's the Association of Talent Development, it's like one of the biggest training conferences. Um, and uh, I forgot to submit my proposal to speak. And But I knew the conference organizer. And I literally, I had a piece of intuition, right, that said, call her. I'm like, oh. Okay, fine. I'm just going to do it. So, so I called this, uh, called the conference organizer, and she goes, "Guys, that's so weird. I just hung up with somebody who canceled his session, and I'm looking for a speaker." Wow. And I'm like, "I'll do it." And she goes, "Okay, what day do you want?" And normally, right? Um, I know this conference. Normally, if you're the low end speaker, you get that the first and the last day where nobody's there, right? You got to. Yeah. So I picked. I'm like, she asked me. It's open ended question. I'm like, I took the biggest day, Monday at uh, one o'clock, because that, I, from my knowledge of this conference, it was the highest attended point. And she goes, sure, it's yours. And so then I, I loaded up Hootsuite, which jammed tweets about my class through the whole class on their hashtag. And at the end of the talk, uh, a bunch of people came up and said, that was a great talk. Thank you very much. And one of them was a guy from Wiley and he goes, um, that's a great talk. Would you like to write a book about it? Wow. And, and so I looked at it and I actually asked, asked a lot of my friends and um, it was like 2010. And, and I asked a lot of my writer friends and they said, you got an advance. He, he offered you an advance. Take it. Like, that's a no brainer, because even if you fail, you take the advance as long as you write the book. Wow. And so that's how I did my first book. So the second book, on, and one of the other things I was really wanted to share around this, Mike, <clears throat> is like, uh, I think you're a salesperson. So therefore, you're a metrics and a KPI kind of person, right? Guilty. Yeah, guilty. You should be. You're, you're a numbers person. Okay. So, um, so I looked at and the amount of days between, I had about six months. Actually, they wanted me to finish in five. And I said, I want six because I just knew that it was going to take a while. And so I mapped all the days out look like that I wasn't already scheduled to work. And I said, these are how many writing days that I have. Therefore, I had to write about 1.2 initiatives per writing day. It was, you know, it's 50 build, uh, team building games. So I need to have 50 by the time I'm done. And I got to tell you, after a month, I was way behind. I was already like 10, 12 behind. Right. And that, that's the moment I made a decision going, this is not working. If I want to finish this book, I have to change what I'm doing. And what I did was I became the world's biggest extroverted introvert. <laughs> right? As you can tell, I might be a slave to, I'm an extrovert. Duh. I love hanging out with people, right? I feed off of people, right? You stay for the meeting and then like, um, then you stay longer for the after hours. That's me. And so what I did was not none of that. I stayed in right? and I purposely you know, parked myself until I got back on track. And in the amazing part, I can tell you this, uh, Mike, I finished the book a month early. Love it. And so, so in this second book, I knew that strategy. I, I kind of did the same thing, even though it was an accelerated schedule, you know, and I, I turned out, I actually, I was one week late because we had such an aggressive schedule. I already told him, I said, I'm not sure I'm going to make the schedule. And he goes, okay, but I got, I got really close. All right. And by that, you know, by the due date, I handed him 95% of the manuscript and he goes, okay, this is good. I'll give you another week. And, um, but, but that's the way to do it. And again, it's really that focus uh, for me, I'm an exponential worker. And what I mean by that is that um, to write the first line, I got to like, it takes a bunch of stuff. You got to like arrange your life. You got to put some stuff around. You got to arrange your thoughts. But once I get a groove, then I can start producing stuff exponentially. And, and actually, the one secret that I had was about 30% of the book was actually left over from the first book. I just had to rewrite it. So I, I had that in my back pocket. 
right? And actually, I think I, I did something like I was averaging 10,000 words a, a day. I think something like some ridiculous number because wow. that's what I did. I did the copy and paste and edit, and that allowed me to show me that I got to the, the required number of words too at the end of the piece because I had the strategy in the back of my pocket that I knew that I could jump like 10 or 20,000 words by, at the, in the last week. And the, that outline that you were talking about, was that just some mentorship part of the publisher process that they kind of point you the way or did something you adopted yourself through your friends and research? That scheduling? The, the, you mentioned that there was like a, a outline, you had to frame it out. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in the last book, uh, in the first book, they gave me another person who's a, kind of like a guiding editor. In this last book, because it was so accelerated, this gentleman who's a senior, uh, you know, one of the senior people at Wiley, he came back and did it personally because he said we weren't going to make it on time if he we waited for somebody else. So it was really cool. It was his idea to move psychological safety from the appendix to the third chapter. Uh, it was actually, we also changed, the name of the book was Virtual Team Building. And then I told them this whole story about, I produced this conference for 200 people at Microsoft. It was around, it was 24 seven, right? The conference ran um, here in America and then in Asia and then in Europe. Uh, and we came back at the end and he said, I think we need to change the title of this book. And this is after the cover was done. And I got to tell you, he's a New Yorker. He doesn't ever like to go backwards. <laughs> but I, when we were talking, I felt the same way because it's basically this, Mike. It's like there's about 10 or 20 percent of the people who, who care about virtual team building. But there's now 100 percent of the world who care about an engaging virtual meeting. Ain't that the truth, John? And that that alone was the genius that we put together. That was, you know, him being there made that happen. Love it. Yeah. I got one last question for you because we're up on time here. It's been great meeting you, though. Um, yeah. One of my favorite questions I like to ask all my guests is, and clearly you've had a successful run here between technology and then entrepreneurship. If you had to go back and tell your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would you tell younger John Chen? There's going to be a coronavirus <laughs> in March of 2020. Right. You wouldn't do anything to stop that. Stop. <laughs> sell, sell toilet paper and PPE. <laughs> buy Bitcoin. I mean, if you're going to do all that. Yeah, buy Dogecoin. Get as much Bitcoin as you can. Start mining when you're a child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's something, so, you know, because it's the same story. If you were younger, it'd be like indoor plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John, it's been a pleasure, man. Uh, really looking forward to checking your book out. Uh, please stay in touch. Can't wait to hear a little bit more about uh, your endeavors with, uh, with the organization and stay safe out there. Stay safe and everybody engage on your virtual meetings. Thanks again, Mike. Thank you.